Wonderful to have you. God bless you. Amen. It's great to be back to my church here. I came to Christ in 1978, and I was part of the church since then. I still am. And uh, I'm glad to see um, faces that I have not met before, and every time I come here, I recognize less and less people. And that means less and less people recognize me. At one point, I was going to uh, meet with Pastor Colin, and the man in charge, the guard at the, uh, at the office said, but who are you? I said, I'm pleased that you don't know. Thank you very much, but tell him that there's a guy who knows you and so on. But I'm pleased to be here uh, today and talk about the future of the Arab world. Is it dim or bright? Is it hopeful or promising? I think you've been watching what is happening in the, in the Arab world, the tsunami that has hit us, and the changes, the, the, the fundamental changes that are taking place throughout. And the, churches, the changes are still taking place in countries like Syria. We really need to pray for Syria. I had the joy of doing a number of conferences in Syria. A lot of, lot of people who, who know Jesus. Um, also, you've seen the changes in Libya. I had the joy of living in Libya actually for some time. And uh, to minister there. Um, from uh, time to time. Thank God for that. And then, of course, Egypt. Um, I just came yesterday, flew in from Egypt, and um, you know what is happening right now. We really need to pray about the changes. So I'm a man who travels quite extensively. I do something like 200 days of the year out of home. My wife comes with me every, every other trip. And so I see what is happening, but I also i am here to tell you God's untold story stories that CNN and BBC will not be able to tell you. But first, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, and I will read the first ten verses, from verse 1 to 10. Ezekiel 37, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the Spirit, out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter to these bones. I will, I will make breath enter and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put, put breath in you. And you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling noise. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them. And skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, 
Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, and they, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. This is the sovereign act of God. God does it. Here we're talking about God was just about to perform a miracle of resurrection for a whole community. It wasn't one Lazarus raised to life or one Tabitha raised to life or one young man raised to life. Here we're talking about a whole community of dead people, very dead people who've been dead for a very, very long time. And so God took Ezekiel by the hand and said, Ezekiel, come with me. I want to show you something. So as we have read, God had taken him to the valley and he was showing him several times. Do you see valley? Do you see Ezekiel, what I see? Do you see those bones, the big bones, the small bones, the men's bones, the, the women's bones, the highly educated bones and not so educated, the religious bones and all kinds of bones. Do you see them? Yes. Ezekiel, can these bones live? What a question. What a question. Every time, every time I travel throughout the Arab world, and I look at those dead bones, and I ask myself the question, can these bones live? Well, God is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he uses the same thing, the same ways that he used before prophesy the word of God and the Holy Spirit will come and there will be life. So just imagine with me if Ezekiel, who is an intelligent man, suddenly hears from God or he thinks he hears from God that to go and speak to the dead. Have you, have you heard one of your neighbors come to you and said, well, you know, I heard from the Lord, I need to go to the cemetery and start talking to the dead. <laughs> That's what he did. So there was just bones everywhere. And God said, go and speak to those bones. I mean, Ezekiel could have used a very logical argument and he would have been absolutely right. Dear God, may I just uh, remind you of something that dead people don't hear. That's the latest medical report. And actually, dead people don't see. As a matter of fact, they don't even think. So you think you're talking to a dead to a dead person, you're talking to the wall. And just people don't listen to you. Any of you have had experiences like this? Let me see if I have any friends here. Like you talk to somebody and you just, you're talking to a brick wall. No response. Say, what? Don't you see my argument? No. The God of this world has blinded those people. But God said, go and prophesy. Go and Prophesy what I tell you to prophesy. Because your words will speak to the mind. And we're not talking about resurrection of the mind. We're talking about resurrection of the soul. And that will bring resurrection of the mind and resurrection of the body. Speak to the soul. What must I say? Tell them what I'm telling you to say. And here we have it. Prophesy in verse 7, and we find it also in verse 10. So I prophesied 
as I was commanded. This book is the word of life. You can bet your life on it. People will fail you. You will fail yourself. Your closest friend may fail you. But when God says something, he actually means it, and he is right there behind it in full. There was never once when I was alone traveling in those countries, and there has been so many things that I can tell you about. That traveling to these countries, sometimes you're apprehended by the police, sometimes you're interrogated and so on, but never once did I feel that there I was on the field alone with nobody with me. Not once. I remember one time I was in the North African country. Both my wife and I were taken, as we arrived to the, we finished the two-week ministry there in that land, preaching everywhere. And then, as we came to the airport, for some reason they apprehended us. They took us to, first under guard to the, to the station. Uh, to the police station, and then uh, as we were driving in the car, there was a, uh, we, were, uh, we were very, imp- we felt very important actually, because we had about six people guarding us, armed with clashing cove, and there was a car in front of us opening the way for us, so I turned to my wife, I said, this is really the royal treat, this is what happened when, <laughs> when royal people travel, you know, they open the way for them. But, so we, t- the, Took us about seven hours, you know, going from one, and then finally we got to the uh, to the big shot. And then he looked at us and said, "Why are you here?" And then suddenly there was a change. He said, "You know something? Here is your passport. You can go. You're free. Three minutes. Three minutes." I looked at him. What happened? Well, that night I made that discovery. One lady. A wonderful lady, she's about 80. She saw us in a vision that day that we were under dark clouds. She stopped everything. She went into the prayer room. She was interceding for us without nobody knowing where we were. And when she saw the, the, uh, the cloud dismissed, that's when we were released. That's God at work. And... And there is no greater privilege in life to know that you're not alone, you're working with God. On another occasion, I was called in by the, by the investigating uh, authority. Three hours later, I came out with one conclusion. They were afraid of me. That was it. And I, be, I tell you what, the moment they know you can cause fear into them, they'll be afraid of you. So you choose what, what to decide. You want them to be afraid of you, or you be afraid of them. I made my decision already, and the rest is yours. And I tell you, because you're not alone. God is there with you. God is here taking Ezekiel by the hand and said, Well, I'm going to perform the miracle, but I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody to work with me, in cooperation with me, to do what I'm telling him to do. It wasn't a plan that was devised by Ezekiel somewhere. It was God's plan. And God was going to do it using a man like Ezekiel. And that's what Ezekiel did. He said, God, you want to speak to the bones? I will speak to them. I will say, dark, bone, dark, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what God is saying. So many times as I, as I travel, I said, Lord, these people don't believe the Bible that I believe in. 
They don't believe Jesus was crucified like, like I do. They don't believe Jesus was raised. Of course, if they don't believe he was crucified, they don't believe he was raised from the dead as well. And these people don't believe that the Bible is a true book. How can I use this? Yes, prophesy. Speak the word. I remember once I was speaking to a, a, an official in, in a North African country. We were discussing, talking about children, rebellious children, and the man said to me, I wonder if you have any comment on rebellious children these days. I said, yes, I do. He said, anything to say? I said, yes. Well, the other day I told him, I was reading a story about a father who had two children. One of them decided to rebel. I never told him where the, where the story was from. And I went on using my rich imagination and I was describing how the prodigal decided to take all the inheritance, open a fat back account, go to the airline, buy him a first class ticket, go to the west where he enjoyed himself. And I was going, and then he said, and then what? And then what? All the time. And then what? I said, I said one day the bank manager sent him a note, sorry your accountant is in red, you better come over for a cup of coffee. He said, and? I said, well, he thought, well. I might as well go home because all my friends, when I was rich, I had many friends, but now that I'm poor, nobody wants to talk to me anymore. Why don't I go back home? So he sent a telegram, or maybe I used an email, and uh, said, Dad, I'm coming back home. He said, what did his dad do? I said, he was there at the airport waiting for him. And as a matter of fact, when he just landed, he ran to him and he just kissed him on the neck and he told him, my son. I looked at the official, he was crying. I said, sir, why do you cry? He said, I was the prodigal, my father never received me. The power of the gospel. Never mind if they believe it or not. It has power. Yes. Jesus is the Son of God whether they believe in Him or not. Jesus is raised from the dead whether they believe in not. I believe and therefore with that power of belief in the Word of God, I speak the truth as convinced as I can be. God is on the throne and doing some remarkable things these days. On another occasion, I was visiting in, uh, in Lebanon actually and... Uh, I had the joy of uh, speaking to a, a number of Filipinos. I wonder if there are any Filipinos here. Oh, good. These were about 250 maids. They were doing an annual celebration, so their pastor asked me if I could come and speak to them. It was a special uh, occasion for that day. And um, as I was speaking to them, I was talking about being in the presence of God. And there was something that happened that day when that presence of God just, just filled the place and without me making any invitation of any sort all of a sudden about a hundred of those wonderful Filipinos they were crying their heart out repenting before God coming to them this is the power of the gospel See, people in the Arab world want all kinds of change. They want economic change, they want political change, educational change, social change and they think by making these changes, the life will be different. But change of politics will not change your heart, neither change of education will change your heart. And I remember here a story that happened here with me in London. I was talking to a man from Yemen, and I said, I wonder if you have a solution to the Yemeni problem. 
He said, of course I do. I said, wonderful, tell it, tell it to me. He said, I just want to be the president of Yemen for 48 hours, and I will sort all the Yemenis out. I said, what will you do with them? He said, I'll chop all their heads off. I said, you mean no Yemenis will be left? He said, no, because, because of this. And he started talking some, some negative stuff about these wonderful people. I said, you want to get rid of all the Yemeni race? He said, all of them, because we must start a new race. I said, how will you start? He said, well, we'll start with one one-year-old boy and one one-year-old girl. And then until they grow up and they are 21, 22, we, we get them married and then we start a new race. I said, wonderful, just answer me one question only. I said, how can you guarantee to me that the new race will be any different from the old race? Of course, the answer is no. I said, well, in Islam, you believe in chopping people's head and people's hands and so on. I said, we also believe in chopping, but we don't chop the head or the hand, we chop the heart. I said, let me tell you what the Bible says about chopping the heart. <laughs> I said, two, two prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, talked about this. As a matter of fact, in the, in the chapter earlier, in chapter 36, God says, the days are coming when I will take the heart of stone and I will transplant a heart of flesh. I will put my heart, my spirit into them. I will write my laws on their hearts and then they will be able to obey me. I said, you can chop somebody's hand, he can put an artificial hand and start stealing as well. Uh, there's no way. I said, there's no way. Don't stop the chopping. I said, the question is, the heart, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. While people seek change, I look and I say, thank you, Lord, that you're causing a real change in people's heart. Let me tell you a story. Again, I was recently in, in Lebanon. God has given us the privilege of... Uh, going and minister to the Syrian refugees who come across over from, uh, from, Lebanon, from Syria. We go right all the way up, about five hours drive from, trip, from uh, Beirut airport, and we go to a village where on the one side is Lebanese, on the other side is Syrian. There is a river in between them. The two villages are just about two miles apart. And I remember vividly one day we had a meeting, we brought, we brought many of the Syrian refugees who crossed over and they were in, in terrible condition. We shared the, the, the word of God with them and to my amazement they responded well and many of them have received Jesus into their heart. Just two miles down the road on the Syrian side there was a lot of killing Many people were dead exactly at the same time. As a matter of fact, while this was happening on the one side, I looked from the balcony on the other side. There were bombs going everywhere and, you know, houses were being demolished and so on. And the picture was clear in my mind. On the one side, there was death. On the other hand, there was life. Death, as people are being killed, the work of the enemy, the work of the devil, that's what Jesus talked about, he had come to kill and then on the other side, Jesus was giving life. Yes, you have to, these two stories, these things go together. On the one side, people are being killed. On the other side, people are receiving life. I remember while there, we were staying at a small little hotel um, next to a, a river. 
The river is called the rebellious one because it goes against traffic. I don't know why they call it the rebellious one. And um, so we were just staying at a small little hotel. The owner of the hotel started talking to me and he said, you know, can you tell me more about what you do? And God gave me a few words to say. He said, you know, can you tell me more? I'm interested. Now, I had with me a Lebanese pastor, a good friend of mine. And um, as I started talking to the Lebanese man, he's a Shiite, he's a Muslim. And um, he said to me, he said, Mr. Hashway, I really appreciate what you're saying. I like what you say, but please don't tell me about the cross because I can't believe the cross. Because my book says that Jesus was never crucified. Can you please just delete the cross? At that point, my friend, uh, Joseph, his name, turned to him and said, Ahmed, I heard that uh, you had a son who was nine, year, nine years old when he was drowned in this river. Is it true? He said, yes. This was about 20 years ago, and he just slipped into the river, and I followed him, but I couldn't catch him. He died. How do you know he died? Well, what more can I tell you? I know my son. As a matter of fact, I carried his body. So my friend told him, teasingly, he said, no, 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 you, you, your son didn't die. And the man said, what do you mean he didn't die? No, 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 he didn't die, of course. He... No, I know he died. How do you know he died? Well, I carried his body. At that, my friend Joseph said, that's what we believe about Jesus, my friend. There were witnesses at the cross. They saw him being crucified. They saw him die. And there were people who carried his body. By hand, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they carried his body. At that... Ahmed just lifted his hand up and said, I believe Jesus was crucified. Just like that. We brought him with us to Beirut. I was to speak on Easter Sunday at the church. Uh, brought him down and we were discipling him on the way. He took a, a, a great, a major decision. Actually, he was married to five, divorced four, kept one. And, uh, but at 57, he was... Um, he was uh, having an affair with a 20-year-old girl. And, uh, but without me telling him anything, he sent her a note and said, Good night. I'm not interested in this anymore. Now, we, I prayed with him the following morning. I mean, he accepted Christ and so on. But the following day, I laid hands on him to pray. And then all of a sudden, he was shaking. And he said, he, he used the, the Arabic word, Allahu Akbar. He said, Allahu Akbar, I'm shaking, I'm shaking. I said, what's happened to you? You know what he said? He said, a new spirit has entered into me. Hallelujah! That's what we're talking about. That's exactly what happened. A new spirit has entered into me. And this brings me joy. Because when I hear about God's performing resurrection miracles every day, nobody comes to Christ through an intellectual argument. The new birth is a resurrection experience. It starts with resurrection, continues with resurrection, and ends with resurrection. Hallelujah. That's the new faith. So when, I, when I'm encouraged to know about people like Ahmed, I'm encouraged about... Um, I, heard the, uh, I met with a young man. His name is um, Jamal. He's from northern Iraq. And he told me how he came to Christ. One day somebody gave him a New Testament. He wasn't interested. And then one day while he was asleep, somebody nudged him and said, you know, pointing to the New Testament. So he went to the neighbor and said, did you call me? He said, no, I'm asleep. Why did you wake me up? He said, well, somebody nudged me. So he came back to sleep. The nudge came again. And then as it turned out, the angel of the Lord was there. And he was pointing him to look at the New Testament. He read the New Testament. He accepted. He was newly married. And his wife told him, I'm pregnant. 
the day I give birth to our first son, that's the day I will divorce you. Because as far as I know, you have become a pagan. And according to the Islamic faith, I cannot, as a Muslim woman, get married to a pagan. So you can imagine the, the joy of coming to Christ mingled with this sadness. The cost is so high for people to come to Christ from Muslim background. But the cost is higher if they don't come to Christ. Let's remember that. The cost is much, much higher. Spending eternity without Christ. The day came when the wife was to give birth to the, to the first child. And the man said, I was just praying you know, 24 hours a day, said, Lord, what do I do? There's nothing I can do. My wife does not believe anything. Well, two days before she was given to, to give birth, she was lying in the hospital on her back, and Jesus appeared to her in a vision right there at the, at the ceiling, okay? And he was, he was showing himself to her. As he was doing that, she actually gave birth to their first child without knowing she gave birth. And this is the only case I know when a girl was, when a wife was born again and gave birth at the same time. <laughs> so doctors didn't give her any, any medication or anything, you know, to ease things up. When I hear this, I said, God, you're on the throne. You're doing some incredible things. God is doing individual miracles. He's doing also mass miracles. God has given us the, the, the privilege, both my wife and I, to be involved in, on television. We are on television in, in several television stations. At one time, we heard about a whole family in Tunisia had come to Christ through, through our program. The whole family, father, mother, everybody, all of them at the same time. And on some other occasions, you hear about, you know, whole communities. Um, I heard about... Uh, uh, the story on, uh, in Egypt, you know, it's a lot of things happening in Egypt at that time, and I go a few times a year. At one point, the, a large evangelical church in central, in downtown Cairo, next to the Liberation Square, where you see all these demonstrations taking place. Uh, at one point, one particularly bloody Friday, a lot of people were killed, many people were injured. So the injured, about a thousand of them, were taken to various hospitals. When the hospital filled up, they looked for some other places, so they found this church. Will you take some of our injured and take care of them? The church was ready to do it, so they set up uh, like a, uh, a field hospital at the entrance of the church. Some of the doctors and, and medics from the church took, uh, took over and were responsible. But one person in particular, a man, a Salafi man with a long beard, very fundamentalist, was among those who was brought in from the, from the square. And this man had, um, was brought in unconscious. So they took him inside the church to take, care more, take more care of him. And uh, while he was inside and doctors were taking care of him, he came to. He, you know, he looked up and he saw a huge cross. He said, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong paradise. Well, I'm glad that they finally led him <laughs> to the right paradise, to, to Christ. And so, you know, working for, working for the Lord is, is absolute uh, privilege, is absolute honor, is, is great fun. I, one time I had a discussion with the, 
uh, with a Muslim, and I love the arguments they come back to me. He said, uh, for example, did you know that Jesus loves you? He said, he wouldn't love me if he really knows who I am. <laughs> I said, actually, he does know who you are, and he still loves you. Well, why is this happening to me? And then he said, but anyway, I'm a Muslim, and he's a Christian. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He said, I'm a Muslim, but he's a Christian. So these two things don't, don't meet together. I said, well, he didn't come for Christians. He came for everybody. He came for the lost. And you qualify if you believe you're lost. And, uh, and then he said, I never asked him to love me. Why should he? I said, well, he loves you in a, in a way of love that you cannot understand. Because most love is, I love you if you love me. I'll, I'll take from you if you take from me. And so uh, this, this kind of love doesn't work. For Jesus, he gave himself completely to you. And then he said, I never asked him to do this for me. And then he, he went on one after the other. We went on for about two hours. And then finally he said, ah, I got it, he said. He came 2,000 years ago. We, we live in the 21st century. It doesn't apply to me. I just love this. I mean, and you go on and go on. And finally, that day, he, he accepted Jesus into his life. That's, that's a miracle of God's work. Finally, the, the convincing, the conviction of a heart is not through an intellectual argument or through some kind of cleverness. It's actually, the Bible says, no one confesses Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I tell you sadly, my friends, there are many in churches worldwide who are intellectually convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord. They are intellectually convinced. But the heart is another story. It's something to do with the heart because the moment that reality grips your heart and you actually believe with the word of God with all your heart and mind, then you're able to lay your life for the gospel. You're not thinking, oh God, what do I give you? 10% before, before taxes or 10% after that? I said, when, when I hear this argument, I said, you don't know what God has given you. You don't really know what he's done for you. And um, so it's, it's, it's wonderful to serve with the Lord as the Lord send us. One of the things that really brings joy also to my heart, to meet with uh, terrorists who have come to Christ. I mean, this is particular joy for me because to hear their stories, how they, they would go out. One particular person, he went out, he was killing actually Christians. He burned some of the churches. And then Jesus appears to him in, in, in a vision and, and the man comes to Christ. And the people that he leads in the church told me, you know, when we see this man, we are seeing Christ through him. But then he told me something that rather intrigued me. He said, you know, before we went out to do a terrorist operation of some kind, killing somebody, he said, we had a sense of unity amongst us that one was willing to lay his life for the other because now we have a mission to accomplish and we were ready to die for it. He said, if you've been with us the night we went out, there's such love between us because we, this could be the final time we meet. We are agreed together in unity, and now we are willing to kill and be killed ourselves. And I said, oh my goodness. I said, this, this is what needs to happen in us. I mean, this is the mission that we, you know, in Christ. I mean, in Christ we are truly one. We need to live that oneness. I mean, Jesus prayed that we are one. God believes that we are one. The world looks at us as one. The devil treats us as one. Sin attacks us as one. Everybody thinks we are one, except us. We're not so sure. 
I said, let's live out our oneness. We are one, but we need to live out our oneness. When I look out and see those masses, I remember what happened at the cross. Jesus there at the cross, he was pouring out his life to the world. And he heard people to whom he had come to die, crucify him, crucify him. So on the one side, he heard their cries, crucify him. But Jesus, who lived in more than one time zone at the same time, looked down to the future, and he heard another crowd 50 days down the road, and they were saying to Peter and the disciples, what must we do to be saved? Maybe some of those who said crucify him were among those who were saying in Acts chapter 2, what must we do to be saved? We don't know, but it's possible. So on the one hand, people may reject what you're saying. But wait, they may be going through certain crises in their lives. Now they're not ready for it. Maybe a little bit in the future, they are more ready. They haven't been through the crisis that will reduce them to their knees and said, God, if you don't come into my situation, there is no way out. And I remember a story about a friend of mine who was the director of the Bible Society in Lebanon. He's a great evangelist. He's gone to be with the Lord. One day he said he was... Uh, riding in a shared taxi where you had other passengers in the taxi. And uh, one person who was sitting in the front turned to him and said, Lucia, he said, you're not talking to me about the gospel anymore. And Lucia said, my friend, I have spoken to you so many times about Jesus. You are not listening. You know what the man in the front said? Lucian, I've never been through the crisis that I've been to in the last few months. I wasn't ready when you spoke to me a few months ago. But now I'm ready. Please share the gospel message with me. And this really spoke to my heart. Sometimes we give up on people. Said, you know, I shared the gospel with them. But you see, God is a sovereign God. He's in control of things. He allows people to go through fire, through certain experiences, through troubles of some kind, so that he can bring them to Christ. And so on the one side, there was people shouting for Jesus to die. And then others believed in his death. And that's the story that we have in the Arab world. There are some who say we don't believe in Christ, we don't believe in the Bible. But there are others, in their hundreds of thousands, who believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Who have committed their lives, who are ready to die for Jesus. Let me finally close with this. You know, we lived here in the, in, in the UK for, uh, for a number of years. And then God spoke to us to go back to the, uh, to the Arab world, and we did. And I thank God for my church and for the way they have been standing with me faithfully over the years. In the first three months of going back home, it was difficult. Because people expected us, you know, having been away, they expected us to know all the local customs and so on, and we didn't. We've been away for far too long, for too many years. And we didn't. So the first three months were a little difficult. We could not acclimatize ourselves to the situation. And so I said, God, did we make the wrong, the wrong decision to come here? I said, God, speak to me. And God spoke to me in, in, a, in a very unusual way. I had a dream in those first three months. And the dream was I was in a church like this, except that uh, there was uh, no cemetery outside the church, but the church that I saw in the, in the vision was like this, but with a, with a cemetery outside, you know, um, the uh, a graveyard. 
tombs. And as I was leaving the church, I looked at tombs on the right, there were tombs on the left. But what attracted my attention, these were tombs made of glass. And I could see the dead people in them. And they weren't exactly dead, they were just at the point of death. And you can see the pain on their faces. And, and, and the, the, the Lord was speaking to me, said, speak them, tell them to rise. And um, I used the word, you know, kumu, which is like the Aramaic word kumi, you know, rise, girl, rise. So I said, kumu, but in a projected voice that the following day my wife said to me, what was that that you were dreaming? So I told her. She said, God had spoken to me about this. I said, what did he tell you? He said, God had spoken to me from Nehemiah chapter 2. When he was asked by the king, Nehemiah, why do you want to go back to Jerusalem? He said, I want to build the city of my father's graves. I knew God was in this. And God had used us to see so many come to life. God is in the business of raising people to life. I, one time I was at home and uh, I had a visit from a, a, um, a dentist. And... Uh, he said to me, you know, I'm a Muslim man, but I'm disillusioned, I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, and I have no reason to live. He said, I'm 35, I have no reason to live. Now, can you, Jesus, help me? I said, I'll tell you what Jesus can do, and you decide. Well, one and a half hours later, I said, this is what Jesus can do. The choice is yours. I will not force you into taking any decision. You can go home and decide. He said, no, no, sir. This is what I've been looking for. This is it. I've been looking for Jesus. And that, right there and then, he accepted Jesus into his life. And maybe for some of you who come, who are originally not from the UK, from some other countries, and you're here maybe as a student, maybe for medical treatment, maybe you're here as a tourist, or some other reason, and maybe God had been speaking to you, about the bones back home, the relatives, the dead people, the community. And you're asking, oh God, can these bones live? God says, yes, that's why I've written Ezekiel 37 for you. If you come with me, if you cooperate with me, the bones shall live. If you prophesy as I commanded you to prophesy, to prophesy then the bones shall live. I will, my act is to send the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit come and the Holy Spirit come will bring life as you prophesy. Because there are so many people who are in need to hear the greatest story ever told back in our own countries. Will God sustain me? Yes. Will God protect me? Absolutely. Will God provide for me? I'm here to test you. There was nothing that we ever needed that God did not provide. There was not a time when I needed God most that he was not there. There were so many times when I had no one to stand with me. And I've come to the point where there is nobody. And I've come to the point where I have nobody except Christ. And then I discovered Christ is all I need. And I tell you, you can begin to experience that right here before you go back. I pray that if God had speaking, been speaking to you, that you respond in your heart. We want to close by spending a little time in prayer just before the service goes. So let's, let's bow in prayer for a moment.
Maybe some of you here have not experienced the life of Jesus in your heart. The seed of life planted in Christ in your life. Maybe you have not had that joy of a great experience with Christ, knowing the new birth, being a new creation in Christ. Maybe you haven't. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Change me. Make me what you want me to be. I offer myself to you. Come to him just as you are. And he will change you. And for those of you whom God had been speaking to you before, I challenge you today, respond to him. God knows all the difficulties, all the challenges, all the obstacles. He knows it all. He still says, go, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. You have the word of God, you have the spirit of God. I tell you, the sky is your limit to what God can do through you. Right now, at this moment, if God had been speaking to you, I ask you just where you are to stand up right now and say, Lord, I heard your call and I want to respond to it. Say, here I am, Lord. Send me. In your own timing, in your own way, but here I am. Just say, Lord, here I am. Use me to see so many of my people raised to life. As I prophesy your word in the power of your Holy Spirit. Please use me. I give my life to you. And I know. By your power I can do all things. Thank you Lord that I can see the situation in my eyes hopeless. But through your eyes Lord. I can see a mighty army. Come to life. A whole community come to life. I pray this to be true. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you.